You're listening to Spiderweb Salon's podcast, where we talk to poets and authors about writing, being a writer, and having ideas. Thank you for listening. Today, our flowers Rivera will be joining us. She's an award-winning poet and Mississippi native who now lives in McKinney, Texas. Her second collection of poetry, Heathen, was released in February 2015. It has been selected by poet and literary activist E. Ethelbert Miller as the winner of the 2015 Naomi Long Magic Poetry Award, which recognizes outstanding manuscripts by African-American poets. Rivera's debut collection of poetry, Troubling Accents, received a nomination from the Mississippi Institute of Arts and Letters and was selected by the Texas Association of Authors as its 2014 Poetry Book of the Year. It was published by Xavier Review Press in July of 2013. Dr. Rivera has a PhD from Bingham University, an MA from Hollins University, an MS from Georgia State University, and a BS from the University of Georgia. She is a guest lecturer in creative writing at the University of Texas at Dallas. Today, Art Flowers Rivera will be reading from her book, Heathen, the poem Echo on a Good Day. Echo on a Good Day. Most days are like this one, dark, dank, a guttering candle, my only light. I work on perfecting, a better word would be practicing, my smile. That, I know, is what startled Narcissus. The way my incisors catch the apple of my bottom lip, drawing two neat drops of blood. Everyone wants Narcissus. Men, women, that also adds to this quandary. I haven't spoken today, not much worth repeating anymore. This is a typical day for me, full of loneliness. In my mind, I practice two of the three words I will say. Come blank me. Only the preposition causes trouble. On different days, I am sure I know the one I mean. Two, four, in, on. Redoubtable is love, especially this one that uses hearts as whetstones. Books cover the wall, the floor, my bed like dross. I lie prone, hours barely moving, plundering gracile words I will repeat as if my own. My voice runs breathless circles in my throat, desperate to enter my mouth, appetent. My tongue tells my ears dulcet tales of what awaits. Pain is more bearable when you have something beautiful as a distraction. When I have been diligent, I reward myself with goblets of wine Alcohol goes straight to my sex, engenders a bloom of purple, a lissom reminder of my beloved. Raquel, thank you so much for being here to talk to me today. And thank you for having me. Of course. Um, Echo on a Good Day is such a beautiful piece. I'm, I'm glad you chose that to, to bring to us. Um, I'm interested in just kind of hearing the story behind that that poem, um, maybe what influenced it or how you, how you started, how it, how it need to come to be within you. Okay. So we have a couple of things that always happen with me. I usually end up with an idea. And then as I'm moving through the world, I see images that appeal to me. 
And so in the olden times, when I still had a good mind, I used to just store them that way. But I've gotten to the point where I have to either voice memo everything or write it down on a sheet of paper. So it started off with my love of mythology and wanting to give other characters within mythology a voice. So there was that. So I wanted to do Echo instead of focusing on Narcissus. And then on the other hand, it was the whole idea of I was in grad school, I was writing a lot, I spent a lot of time just buried in the bed with books and candles, and I was going, this is sort of neat as I looked around. And then I started there. And so by braiding those things together, I was able to create a voice that I thought would be appropriate for Echo. And then also, I occasionally like to delve into the taboo. So I also wanted to look at what would it be to have this constant state of longing for someone that was never going to return that love. And mythology um, is a is a big theme for you. Um, Tell me a little bit about is it heathen that mostly is, you know, constructed around this idea that you had that you based a lot of these poems off of. Um, tell me how you came to that and, and what the what the collection is like kind of as a whole to create. Okay, it actually started with, well, one, I was fortunate enough to be in a GT class when I was in Mississippi, which consisted of nothing more than being out in the trailer and having additional reading assignments, but that's neither here nor there. So one of the big topics that we covered was mythology, and I completely fell in love with it. Of course, there's Edith Hamilton's um, retelling of all the myths. So that's where I began. But as I became older, I didn't like the representations that a lot of the characters from mythology had. So I wanted to rework it. So the first one I did was a villanelle um for the sirens and in response to Odysseus believing that he's being lured to his death. So there's that. And the second one that I created was Hera on, or Hera has her say, which recounts Hera's voice. And she's generally portrayed as a harpy or a shrew, but her, her man Zeus is always running around on her. So I thought that was like every, southern town I ever knew so started there and then just started working my way out about whatever appealed to me what is um your your actual like do you have do you have rituals of writing you talked about um you know maybe recording something and like a voice memo or you know gathering little bits of ideas here and there but um when you sit down to write a poem um is that is that always your intention like I need to I need to get this out um do you have like a a place or like a certain like thing that you do in order to get yourself to that place well it's generally once again I used to be more specific before children (laughs) and it had to be at my desk with the candles going yada 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 but now it's wherever I can write whenever I can write either it's longhand or typewritten it doesn't matter I just have to use the time that I have available to me, which means that everything that I did have as a ritual, I've had to ditch because I can't use that as an excuse. Otherwise, the writing won't get done. And the more I put rituals in the process, then I come up with reasons to have writer's block, which I can't afford. So, Do you go looking for inspiration? 
in terms of looking for inspiration, usually it just conks me on top of the head. <laughs> I think pretty abstractly and it, my thoughts have a tendency to jump so frequently, even in conversation, I'll go non sequitur to let the person know that I'm switching subjects on them. But in terms of inspiration, it's just the small gestures of daily life, as well as being immersed in nature is a big one for me. And that's when I feel most connected to sort of not sort of to the world, especially when I'm when I typically feel like an outsider, that's what allows me to sort of recenter and try to reach out to humanity one more time. Do you, um, do you have a specific um, kind of feeling that you want your audience to get from your poems? Like, do you think about the audience when you're writing poems or is it um, an internal process? Okay, so, okay. Because they're very personal, um, as well as being, you know, these broader subjects, you know, like, you've you've tied in a lot of very personal things, and... Well, I think the personal aspects allow the poem to have an emotional core, and not, um, when I read poetry, where it's well-crafted, but there's no connection for me, it's very hard for me to engage with those poems. So I know as my task, I definitely want to communicate with other people. Originally, I used to say that I was just writing for myself. Nobody else ever has to see it. And then my one of my cousins called me on it and she said, no, you're not. You're writing because you want to communicate. Otherwise, you wouldn't labor it labor over it the way you do. And she said that even if you're communicating simply with an extension of yourself, is still an attempt to communicate with the world by showing them your point of view. So how do you know when a poem is finished? Usually it just feels done. Otherwise, it goes into the file where I just shut it down or put it to the side. Those are the ones I have more trouble with. But when a poem is going, hopefully I have open-ended time and I can just follow it through all the various iterations until I get the form and the style and the tone that I want. But that's <laughs> it. How do, you, how do you deal with writer's block? Do you ever go back into, you know, that kind of graveyard of poems and resurrect things? Or is there something else that you do? I've tried going <laughs> back into old poems, but making that, finding that emotional through line again is hard, trying to get back to that space. So I will try to use film, film or music or, I don't know, thinking of memories that might be similar. And Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So I try to just keep pushing forward. And if anything from the old poems, I'll go in and steal a phrase, a line that I think might work in another poem. But usually if the poem isn't going within a week, I'm leaving it alone. I've had very few successes. So, so you're very immediate with your work. Yeah. Um, what, what are you working on now? I mean, um, please tell us a little bit about these books that you have, of course, um, and then tell us a little bit about kind of what, where you're going from here. Okay, so my debut collection was Troubling Accents. It, was, it came out on Xavier Review Press in 2013. And all I can say about that is 
a lot of that is personal. A lot of it is an attempt to reconcile myself to being a Southerner, particularly from Mississippi, and all the complexities are involved in loving a place that may not necessarily love you back. So there's that collection. And also within that collection, it's heavily music-based, especially in terms of the epigraphs. So that's how I crafted that collection. In terms of heathen, reworking mythology is the front half of the book. And then the second half of the book is more meditations on the diurnal aspects of living, dishes, cleaning, chauffeuring children back and forth, contemplations on midlife, that type of thing. And so right now I have a couple of things working. On the one hand, I'm trying to put to bed a novel that I've been working on for forever. And in my mind, I just need about 25 pages to wrap up the ending. But I'm so afraid of it. It just, if anything gets pushed to the side, it's that. On the other hand, I'm almost done with a collection of short stories. I'm about too short of that. And then finally would be the collection for my grandmother that is tentative light, tentatively titled Grove Hill for Grove Hill, Alabama. She'll be 100 shortly. And the her life is just amazing. You've the, been collecting an oral history of her life. Definitely. <laughs> and more so because I realized that we don't intend to, but we've taken her health for granted all this time. And we know the stories and we've heard the stories so many times. But at the same time, when I was trying to go back and work with the material, I would find gaps in the information that I couldn't fill in. And I want, even though it's going to be my creative interpretation of her life, I don't want it to be so far off that it doesn't ring true for her. The other part is just being so afraid of getting it wrong out of when it's just my work is like, whatever, I can just do it until it feels right. Yeah. But with her work, I have a responsibility to witness for her, not to appropriate her life, not to take it over. But there are so many emotionally fraught instances or events that occurred in her life, whether it was a, a beating and cheating husband or raising four children on her own or gro growing up in Grove Hill where she only had an eighth grade education and went on to eventually in her 60s go back and get an undergraduate degree. Um, be hosting Freedom Riders in her house, helping to integrate the beach in Gulfport, Mississippi. Um, so I have a responsibility to get the details right. And that doesn't even deal with some of the more personal aspects of her life that I'm going to have to just sort of stare down. And the wimpy way out is I know that the majority of the people are dead. So now I truly have free reign to tell the truth, or at least her truth. So. Yeah, that's an incredible project. Um, 
it sounds like family is a huge inspiration for you. Um, where where else do you kind of gather that momentum when you're writing? I mean, is is that it? Like, is this the the big exciting thing for you? Like, what what else is out there that really forces you to like take a look at what you're working on and make you want to do more? Okay, so I end up walking this line where there are all these labels that put together my life, whether it's being black, southerner, bisexual, um, mother, wife, daughter, Roman Catholic, a bad Catholic, but Roman <laughs> Catholic, it, it just gets to be um, PhD, whatever it may be. All the labels are competing. So, But at the same time, I've realized that I can't have allegiance to any of the labels, even though they are a shorthand for my identification and I don't shun them. But anytime that label wants to obscure your individuality, that's when I have to push back against it. So it's usually some blending of those labels as well as, I would have to say what, anything that leaves me emotionally high or emotionally bereft. Those are the two where I know I have to wade in and deal with the material. So, absolutely. And and you talk about um, you mentioned you know the fear of finishing something. How do you overcome that as a writer? You have this novel that you're working on. Like, is that something you're still in the process of? Is it? Um... I wish <laughs> I knew. At least with the poetry, I said, okay, here's the stopping point. Lay it all out on the floor and arrange it and get it to come together so I could figure out a theme. But with the novel, that's a whole different kind of wrangling. So I... Every time that I go back to work on it, I have to reread big chunks of it, also try to re-enter that space, and then go, does the material still hold up well enough in a way that I wouldn't be afraid to share it with other people? Yeah. So at some point, <laughs> when I'm not freaking out and running back and forth, I've just got to sit down and get it out. The, the novel Even if sounds... it's a crappy ending, <laughs> it, I need one. <laughs> it sounds like uh, the novel is kind of like digging back into the drawer for you. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, I yes. hope you. I hope you finish it. Um, Thank I'd you. love to read it. Um, so where where can we find your work? Where where do you live in the in the wide world of of let us read our flowers Rivera? Okay, <laughs> I am online at promethea.com. That's P R O M as in Mary. E T H E A dot com. And it's just my website. I've held it for a long time. Usually once a poem or a short story has been published and it's had enough of a run, then I'll go ahead and load it up to the system because I know not everybody has the funds to purchase a book I of make. Course. So I just want to put the work out there. And that's the main place. Okay, so it's accessible. Um, you do have a Facebook page and everything too. We <gasps> oh can find you at goodness. Our Flowers Rivera. Yes, <laughs> I'm on Facebook at Our Flowers Rivera. And if you have patience and a good sense of humor, I'm on Twitter at Our Flowers <laughs> Rivera. A lot of the stuff on Twitter is about writers and writing and um, black lives and art it's just a wide, or me just being on a rant. <laughs> Wonderful. So, 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm glad that you could be here and share with us. No, thank you. I am so grateful. <laughs> I have enjoyed this so much. It's made me think. Wonderful. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Spiderweb Salon's podcast. I'm Courtney Marie, and this has been a Pariah production. <laughs>